Dropout Podcasts. Hello and welcome back to Adventuring Academy. My name is Brendan Lee Mulligan. I'm here today with someone oh so very special to my heart. Uh, you may know him from Hit the Road, a champion of Um Actually, a fellow staff member of the Wayfinder Experience, my dearest and nearest childhood friend, Nick Marini. Yo, yo, yo. What's Super up, stoked man? to be here, man. Uh, it's so awesome to have you. Uh, uh, dude, many times on the podcast thus far, I have made semi-mythical reference yeah. Yeah. to the 10 year long homebrew campaign I've been running 3.5 yeah. since I was 21 years old Nick is a PC in that campaign son I'll be done baby Sky Knight of Yashad Arch Rebel and uh, Son of the Storm you're yeah. looking at him right here here we go <laughs> uh, Nick so happy to have you yeah on, dude on. I'm so happy to be here hell yeah so uh, we were talking the other day and I mentioned that I think it's interesting how I joined that campaign. Yes. A near miss. One of those weird sliding door, like, yeah. you know, alternate universe, different path. It started with a train ride. Yeah. Well, we were coming back from Wayfinder mm -hmm. from camp. And I was young enough that, like, my mom had asked you guys to, like, help usher me from upstate New York to the city and then back to Philly. That's correct. We were all like 21. Yeah, you were a little bit, yeah. And you were like what? I was like 15, 16? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Uh, and so we had worked this event in upstate New York for Wayfinder Experience, live action role playing summer camp. Go LARP. Extremely cool. And uh, uh, you were heading back down on the train and our Dear beloved friend Jack Covell, yeah. who's actually a senior, like a senior designer, character artist, lead character designer for Heart Machine, yeah. a video game company. Very cool dude. Uh, basically, was chatting with you about our D and D. Group. Yeah, and and you guys were. I, I just remember you guys all talking, and the whole time me being like, "This sounds pretty cool, dude." <laughs> and then eventually, you were like, "Do you want to you want to play tonight?" And I was like, "Yeah, yes, I do." <laughs> Uh, uh, and it was one of those things where I we thought it was going to be like a guest spot. Yeah. Um, and Nick's character so perfectly cleaved to the tone of the world and filled this like missing spot within yeah. the cohort of like the party members yeah. that existed to that point. Well, you you I just remember you explaining the world to me and you know there's humans living in these sky cities and there's hobbits on the ground and yada yada. And I was torn between this like jackalope ranger rider, right, like this these, like kind of gunslinging guy. There's like a Texan hobbit land yeah. filled with these jackalope riding yeah. hobbit cowboys. And I was torn between that guy and and what would become Hassan Albidan, mm -hmm. uh, a knight of Yashad on his on his Griffin quest. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were joking the other day that if I had chosen that jackalope ranger. Who knows what my how my life would have turned out? I wouldn't have spent ten years hanging out with you guys. <laughs> so I'm super thankful for that. I like to think that the Jackalope Ranger would have slipped in there as effortlessly, but the, but Hassan was in was and is an incredible character, and it gets something that I think we both wanted to talk about today. Yeah, which is um, how and what best practices people, viewers of the podcast, uh, can employ when making a player character. Yeah, totally. And, you know, I, I've watched a lot of these, I think I've watched all of these episodes, mm -hmm. and there's a lot of talk about DMing, which is fantastic, and, mm -hmm. and 
I, I think a lot of good games start with a good DM, mm-hmm. but they also, you know, there's more players than there are DMs. Yeah. Right. Like, like even even at the minimum, there's still as many players as there are DMs. <laughs> right. Right. So so making a good character and and entering the world of that the DM has made, I think, is super important. You know, and and uh, you spent. I don't know how much time creating this world and uh, you know it's a world where people have to f- can fly yeah. and where like there's sky ships and there's sky cities and and so you described Yashad to me and as this kind of uh, really interesting mix between kind of Middle Eastern influence and Spartan influence and it just this really cool sounding city and uh, and so you know I, I think that some people when they're playing D D you know they have this idea for this character they want to make yeah and that's awesome and you should do that but also sometimes let the let the story that is being told to you dictate who you want to be in that story. Right. I think this is something that's very, very common. I had this recently where I was running a little sort of side home game thing, and um, uh, some of the people that I was inviting like made characters ahead of time before we had done world background, yeah. which I will say, there's that's not wrong of them to do. That's extremely common. But I was taken aback because to me, in my head, I'm like, how do you make a character and not know the world? Exactly, exactly. You know, we come from a LARPing background, and I'm, you know, I act, and so, you know, the world in which you exist is integral to who you are. Right. You know, and so, so, I, you know, I, as a D and D player, I find that I, I really, I mean, I think, I think the reason I love 3.5 is because you can really make whatever kind of character you want to make. You know, yeah. Jack can make a brilliant energy wagon, <laughs> and you can do that. It's insane, but I love it, and and so. You know, as much as as many ideas as I have that are initiated by like, oh, there's this cool mechanical thing I could do. Mm-hmm. I think that the characters that are fun to play are the ones who, even if they originate there, find themselves in this world, in this story. You know, your your, your brother has the Dread Isles campaign, mm-hmm. which is, you know, we were talking about how when you started it, you were like. Are we doing a pirate campaign and no one's made a pirate character yet? Well, this is so this is a funny story for the viewers. It's literally, like, you know, my brother introduces this like maritime <laughs> all pirate. You know, d- done all this incredible amount of research. Also, my brother is like the kind of dude when he does something, yeah, he's it's all out. The yeah. research has been done. Yeah, it's like you know the the, the amount of like care and awesome and yeah. love and attention to detail. And so we start going around the table, and it's like this is a pirate campaign first and foremost. Now I had a character idea that wasn't fully a pirate, but as they started to go around the table and someone was like, I want to be a ship's cook. And then someone's yeah. like, I want to be a merchant. And I start looking around and I'm like, everyone's picking a different. And I can just see, you know, he was doing a good poker face, yeah. but I could see Griff becoming like crestfallen. Yeah, yeah, and, it's like, yeah. no. and so it got to me as the last person. And I was like, I'm going to be the most piratey. Yeah. Fuck. yeah. <laughs> like pirate, pirate. Totally. And when, when, when he was describing that world to me, uh, you know, I, I think the thing is, you know, the truth about D&D, I think, is that, like, those games where they're silly and they're fun are awesome, mm-hmm. right? For me personally, 
it's the stories that I like. It's mm-hmm. it's the character arcs. It's it's the growth of character. So if you enter a game and you're like, yeah, I'm I'm like the rock. I'm Dwayne the Rock, the Barbarian. Then like that's funny. And if you're playing a one-off, great. But like there may come a time where you're ten sessions in and suddenly you like there's a really important meeting with some king. You're like, yeah, I'm I'm a I'm Dwayne the the Rock. <laughs> Like, why did I name myself that? You know what I mean? Like, it's so true. I can't tell you how many PCs. Look, if this, if you're playing a joke, no joke can survive session yeah. after session after session. Yeah. Like the thing I always tell people that want to play funny D and D, and I think anyone who's watched funny D and D is fun. It's great. Funny D&D is great. The way you play funny D&D is the same way you write a funny sitcom, which is <laughs> you make characters in a comedic situation, yeah. but that are deeply committed. Yeah. You know, it's and, like, yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, and I think like, for me that some of the most profound experiences I've had playing D&D have been, you know, have been really with Hassan, um, but have been, we, we worked to get to that place, you know, mm-hmm. and like, there's a point in, in our campaign where, my character is like basically this this rebel who's leading a revolution against this this kind of oppressive colonial power, and um, a bunch of my rebels, a bunch of my fellow rebels who I had kind of incited, I, I founded the son of the, the sons of the storm, which later became the the children of the storm because this like awesome Yashadi woman was like screw you, like you didn't <laughs> like your revolution isn't for me, and, and Hassan had to go like oh wow like. Mm-hmm. Fuck alliteration. <laughs> but like, you know, yeah, like Sons sure. of the Storm sounds cooler probably than Children of the Storm, but like, mm-hmm. what does that mean? Yeah. And, and I remember having a long conversation with Genevieve where, you know, because one of the things I love about 3.5 is the amount of multi-classing. Yeah. You know, and Hassan, Hassan kind of got to this point when we're 17th level now. So yeah. Hassan like had this point where like he's got this sick magic armor, he's got his, his family sword, you know he's he's got his his Griffin Scarbeak, who's his like, who's really my dog Max, um, and and uh, he was he kind of came to this realization like I can I am I am the knight I set out to become, mm-hmm. like there is really no one I can't beat in a sword fight. Yeah, and what is what does that mean? And he saw Griffin. He saw he saw your brother's character, August Tarandry, the the the. Archmage of Azahar, uh, being able to kind of like teleport here and there and, and do things that were a little more profoundly useful. Mm-hmm. And Hassan went like, maybe I've been doing the wrong thing the whole like magic allows you to be there to help the person. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't matter how good I am with a sword if you're on the other side of the city. Yeah. I can't save you. Yeah. And, and, but if I had magic, I could, and that kind of led him to, to this whole other arc. But when that was happening, Genevieve's character, who, who is, is Hassan's lady love, mm-hmm. uh, uh, was like, well, you're pursuing power and power corrupts. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I, as Nick Marini was like, yeah, that's like, how, what, what is Hassan's? Mm-hmm. And I remember saying, I want to be powerful. I, to be good is to have things that are gonna get in your way. I'm not gonna do certain things mm-hmm. that this bad guy is gonna do. Mm-hmm. So I have to be more powerful. 
because right. I'm fighting with one hand behind my back. That's and it was just such a cool. deep, like, and, and like, you know, D&D &D can be super awesome, it can be super fun, and it can also lead you to these kind of profound, like, I've cried, like, when, when, when I we- I just posted about this in the AMA we did, I did an AMA on the D&D &D subreddit yesterday, and literally someone was like, what's the most cathartic moment playing D&D? &D? And I was like, oh, the moment with Nick and Jack in my childhood home, Christmas, the day yeah. after Christmas, with you meeting the spirit of a fellow dead PC in the realms of death, and being like, I'm sorry, I couldn't save you. Yeah, and like, oh man, what I've cried a couple. I've cried a number of times when, when, when during that revolt, when all the we got everyone out, all these rebels, but also a bunch of criminals. And my mom, my mom got killed in the ensuing in riot. The, in the riot, yeah. and that was like, I just remember, because like we had met my mom in game, but like we hadn't done a lot of backstory. But it's still, I we had had enough that she meant something to Hassan. Yeah, and and just the idea that he had. Failed. So let's talk about this because this is so powerful. Like even just us sharing these little snippets of the past ten years yeah, of our lives. Yeah. For people watching at home, you have a background in acting. For someone that doesn't have that, what are the tools that you use to make a D and D character that doesn't feel like a weird sort of totally. shell that got totally. dropped in the middle? What tools are you using? So, so I think. I think there's multiple ways you can approach it. I think you know you can have a really cool idea for a character and find how that character works, you know, like game mechanic wise. Yeah. Or you can find a really cool game mechanic and build a really cool character off of that. So like for your brother's Dread Isle campaign, um, I have two characters, and one of them is is Gwalchwin Cardiff, and he's from this kind of uh, Welsh area that like they fought the Fae sometime in their past, and there was some pact made where like the Fae don't use magic, and these people don't use metal. And so, I had always thought that place was cool, but like my first character I made for his campaign wasn't from that place. And then I was reading a Dragon magazine, and I stumbled upon the Shea Scholar variant. I'm super into variants. <laughs> I'm, I'm notorious for making characters who's who, like so a ranger crunchy. who does just push our glasses. Yeah, up the who, who like knows. literally has no abilities that appear in the PHB, but like is a ranger. Like that's my jam. Uh, but it's a variant. It's a druid variant where you're like actually a nerdy academic who like delved too deep, mm. and the Fey were like, "We're gonna turn you into a druid with our magic," and like sent like they like send a crazy animal companion that like isn't nice, isn't yeah. like your homie. It's just like. I'm here now. And you're like, oh, sh what is this crazy bird doing? And so, like, mechanically, I thought that was a really fun idea. Mechanically, I thought the idea of, like, a druid who is a scholar who, like, researched this is cool. And so that led me to make this character. That led me down that path, mm -hmm. which I think, you know, I, so I think if you're having trouble creating a cool character, look at how you want to play. Yeah. And look at, like, what, like, I'm, I usually at least when I was younger, would always play like sword guys. Yeah. I was always like, I'm gonna like I was either sword guy or like a little halfling rogue with a crossbow. Like <laughs> that was it really. And when we played one of our spin-offs, one of our our our, our uh, gnome spin-off, mm -hmm. I was like, you know, I've always I always play that. It's like I want to play something totally different. And you know, DMs, I do think you can tell your players what you're looking for. Mm -hmm. And and because you know there's they often say like Creativity, if you don't have 
things. Limitations. If you don't have limitations, sometimes there's like, oh, I could do anything. So like, I don't know what I should do. Yeah. Whereas if you go like, yo, we're doing a heist campaign. And so like in the spirit of a heist, let's have like the hacker, the face, the like yeah. pickpocket. That actually like, is great advice for DMs is your players want freedom, but they will never resent a prompt. Yeah. If you go to them and say, I'm doing a campaign. Don't just make any character. Make a character who would be guarding this caravan yeah. headed to this city yeah. for this thing. I've, I've never met a player who would balk at that. Because honestly, it's so helpful and freeing when you've got directionality. Yeah. When you've got like... And here's the thing too, guys. Ladies, whoever. Um, if, if, you're, if the DM is given a prompt and it doesn't speak to you, and you had this idea and you want to go for it by all means do but also understand that you're in a group you're in a group mm -hmm. and if your character is not didn't if you didn't invest your character in this world then you're as a player going to start to feel uninvested yeah you're going to feel like oh well like these characters have good reasons and I'm kind of like why am I here like you know so I think I think the truth is that you want to get invested. To go back to something you said earlier that I really loved, and actually something you were talking about as an actor of like, how can I invest in a role unless it's integrated into the world? Having studied the other side of that coin, I went to school for screenwriting, yeah. Robert McKee, there's a, there's a great passage in story where it sort of is like plot versus character and immediately goes like, that is a false dichotomy. Yeah. What is a character without a plot? What is a plot without a character? These two things that are represented as being different are impossibly intertwined. Yeah. Like as like if you're describing a character, you need to be describing their motivations and actions which gives you plot. And if you're describing yeah. plot, what the fuck is your plot without people? And 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 you wouldn't be you don't get motivated from nothing. Yeah. You get motivated from the environment you're in. Yeah. You know and and so that's why, that's why honestly for me, when I DM, I actually really love mechanics because I feel like mechanics give you an insight into, you know, like if, if you've presented me with a world, you know, where there are sky cities, then like having a flying mount is going to be sick. Like that's only going to be super empowering. You know, it's like, it's not metagamey. It's, it's being like, obviously, like obviously if you're a knight in a world where there are sky cities, you want your mount to be able to fly. Yeah. You know, like, if we're going to be in a maritime campaign, like, having a swim speed is going to be sick. Yeah. And I think that's true on a mechanical level, and I think it also happens on a narrative level. And what's interesting to think about, too, is the idea of, I, to the extent that you can, whether you're playing remotely on Roll20 or you're playing in person, I think doing session zeros, I think, honestly, doing oh. a world background yeah. session where people come up with their characters yeah. together. Because what's interesting is, it's 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 not even as simple as I get the world world background and I make a character that I think fits into that. It's actually I make a character that fits into the world background in this rainbow with the other sub yeah. PCs. Right? Yeah. So like if you're doing a Lovecraft campaign, you're doing Call of Cthulhu, and people are going down the line, you I think you owe it to yourself and the table to go like, okay, who's everybody being? Do we have the the professor who's on the verge of madness? Yeah. Do we we have the like pure of heart, you know, like Absolutely. newspaper reporter who she's like, like trying to crack the case. Do we have like the the you know shell shocked like World War One? Like you go, what's the genre we're in? 
how do we work together to kind of make this stained glass window, make this yeah. mosaic to bring this world to life? And and the thing is, it's 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 gonna be rewarding when you do that. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's 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 you're gonna because suddenly the world you're building, you're seeing it in all these other characters. You know, like uh, uh, with Aradane, you know, Jen always gives me flack for you know like I had a fighter and you made a fighter character and and uh well actually you know that's the other thing I think is like he's not a fighter he's a paladin yeah he's a he's an atheist paladin <laughs> who who's whose focus comes from his love for his homeland yeah you know and and but but anyway but uh you know we made our characters are similar but but I am like the sword she is the bow we, you know and and we have there's enough difference that it actually flushes out the world because yeah. not every group is going to be like one cleric, one wizard, you know, but if you do have two clerics, like having them be from different faiths is sick yeah. because suddenly all your sessions are going to be like, well, like actually Paylor, you know, would say this and like, it, it just, there are there's, these, there's a great element to, I'm going to go on a wild metaphor. Stick with me. And I know that you know this parable. This, this is very, it's actually, it's very Hassan speed as well. There's a great old Sufi parable about the 10 blind scholars and the elephant. And this idea of, I yeah. may have said this on the podcast before. I'm always afraid that I've said things on the podcast. I don't think before. you have. But so this old parable, you know, yeah, Golden City of Baghdad, there are 10 blind scholars and an elephant is brought to their courtyard and the assistants of the scholars bring them down to sort of, you know, introduce them to this elephant for the first time, it's the first time the scholars are meeting them and sort of the, the scholars go out and start to touch the elephant yeah. to sort of see what it's like and one of the scholars says, oh brothers, an elephant is simply, a, you know, like a spear and he's touching the tusk. Yeah. And another one's like, you're completely wrong brother, an elephant is like a tree and he's touching the leg. Yeah. Another one's like, you're both fools, the elephant is like a fan and is holding the ear. Yeah. And it's this great uh, parable about the idea of your experience can be 100% accurate and you're just not getting the full picture yeah. of the truth. And for me, if the tone and genre and theme of a campaign is the elephant, it's not up to you to nail the entire elephant. A great prompt for creating a meaningful PC that locks into the campaign world is to be like, Okay, we know the campaign is the elephant. What's the tusk of the elephant? Yeah, I'm going to be the tusk character. Yeah. What's the you know if your campaign is set in like an eternal war between orcs and dwarves and like this gritty mountain campaign, what does the you know dwarf soldier yeah. look like? What does the like repentant orc look like? Yeah. What is the like underdark spell and like saying what are all the different points on this star that together will give us the full picture? And and I also think when you're creating a character. You know, you want to find those parts to latch onto, and you also, and I think there's a lot of tendency, and, and I have it sometimes too, to be like, like this, they're crazy, like they did this, and it's like, well, but like we're starting at first level. Yeah. Ooh, this is a great piece so, of advice. So, can you build a character that will get there? Yes. You know what I mean? Like, like Hassan started at third level because that's when I joined. So. But that's still a low level. You know, he was on his Griffin quest. He didn't have his Griffin yet. Right. He was not a knight yet. He was. He was like, he had not completed all the things that led him to become a knight. You know, he like I didn't start out thinking I was going to play a revolutionary. I just like the game dictated that, and then that's what happened. And 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 so, you know, and I often you know I often have thought like, well like, Hassan kind of came in and like 
totally changed the 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 well th this is the nature of low level to high level play cuz you came in at third level as a really classic like i'm a i'm a young man i'm a paladin i want to earn my stripes yeah. i'm going to journey in the mountains and find my griffin and then one of the because at low levels and this is a good piece of advice for dms at low levels especially when you're introducing new players your quests can be on rails a little bit more yeah. and your players can be a little bit more reactive they're learning about the world i can't tell you how many campaigns i've started where levels one through four or five are just running from bad guys yeah that was that was a huge part of our campaign and one of the first things when you guys got to those mid levels was hassan going I'm going to write these revolutionary letters yeah. to my homeland. And it was the first time as a DM that I watched a PC take action and go, oh, I'm on my heels. Now yeah. the world is starting to react to the player characters. Yeah. And that's a super empowering feeling. Yeah. It's super. And, and, you know, I'm a huge nerd. I like wrote those letters actually. <laughs> and I like, I'm also like, Hassan is writing an epic poem about their adventures, which I am also writing because I'm a huge nerd again. Um, <laughs> A yet unfinished tale, mm -hmm. but uh, uh, no, it is super empowering to to have been on the run and then get to catch your breath and go like, wait, like as we're starting to get our own agency. We're starting to be able to, and you know, I, what I love about playing with you is that you, um, it feels like a collect. It really does feel collective. You know, like mm -hmm. when we when I made Hassan, I didn't flesh out his family mm -hmm. but like you didn't you also didn't dictate what my family was there was a little bit of a conversation about it yeah and and i think as a player you know you have to you have to be open to just listen you know because because you describing my family and me just letting to listen and empathize with it was like oh cool like yo like it's good to be home, yeah. You know, and like, and it wasn't a thing that I had to have been like. Well, actually, Brennan, like, my mom's name is this. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it, it it is a give and take. It's a collective story, and and I think you find that, you know, allowing me to influence it through these letters was such such an empowering thing. That's so. That means the world to me, man. And it's really true too, because I think you will find that, especially, it takes I think PCs a couple levels, a couple sessions, a couple yeah. whatever, to feel rooted into the world enough to start going like, no, we're gonna go back to that city yeah. that we've been to before. I'm gonna talk to this NPC I already know. Yeah. We're gonna start making moves. And yeah. it happens to correlate with when the game starts giving you really dope powers. Yeah. But it really, there is this, I think it's two things. It is the characters get to a mechanical point of proficiency, yeah. and the players get to a narrative point of familiarity. Yeah, exactly. And then moves start happening. And, and one thing, you know, I've, I've run a couple campaigns, and I think one of my favorite campaigns, honestly, was a campaign where I had three people who were new, who had never played, and then I had you, Jack, and Roy. Yeah. And I was like, okay, you three are zero-level characters. You're townsfolk. And you three are, like, sick first-level characters. Yeah. And and what was so fun about it is, in in reality, they're like... Yo, Bren, like, like, how do I, like, how do I, is this my attack bonus? You know, yeah. and in the game, they're like, whoa, like, how did you do that? You know, so, so it, it allowed, it allowed the new players to, because you guys, I knew could immerse quicker, quicker, mm -hmm. and just because you're more comfortable, it allowed you to kind of lead them on this journey, and 
and it took a lot of work off as me as a DM. I mean, I literally at one point, I think you were, you were like, one of you guys was like, where did we come from? And I was like, where did you come from? And you were like, the Sword Mountains. I was like, yeah, the Sword Mountains. Like, sick. Like, and that was a very freeform game that I was just kind of running to introduce them to D&D. But, and then on the other hand, I have like my World of Darkness campaign where I literally have mapped out every single supernatural creature in New England. And most of the, like, I think every werewolf at this point has names. Like, it's like mind-numbing the graphs I have. That's so cool. Uh, uh, I love that. What would you say, because like, obviously, I think there's a lot of good stuff in terms of covering Again, like the, the overall message of you will find the game more rewarding the more your player character is meaningfully stitched into the fabric yeah, of the world. Totally. Uh, and I'd say reverse is true for DMs. In the same way that you want your PCs to ingest your world background and make characters that confirm and support it, you've got to see their narrative and make your dungeons and bad guys support that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it, 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 Aerodane would have been. Far less fulfilling if Hassan's revolution revolutionary bend never materialized. I thought I was running a pulp sky yeah. adventure campaign. Sorry about that. <laughs> and then around sixth level, all my PCs said, "Yeah, about that pulp sky adventure. Yeah. What if we went dark, gritty revolution?" <laughs> yeah. And I was like, "Chill. Yeah, Let's chill. do it. Let's yeah. do it." Um, let's move along to audience questions, if we can. <clears throat> Uh, first of all, we get all our audience questions from our uh, Dropout exclusive Discord server. It so rocks. sign up for Dropout. If you're watching this on Dropout, hello. If you're watching this on YouTube, you could have watched it two weeks earlier on Dropout. What were you thinking? What were you thinking? <clears throat> this first rolled one, a bad initiative is what you did. Oh, oh. Next time. Um, <laughs> Uh, this one's from Atlas. Uh, is there anything PCs do that annoy DMs? As a first-time player, is there anything I should avoid or do to keep the overall experience smooth and fun for everyone? I mean, I think that goes back to what we were talking about, right? Like, if I make a, if I make like a, if, I mean, I, I'm also notorious for like having a packet that I'll send out to PCs being like, I also, I, I think I've been playing D&D long enough that like I really love weird variants. I love like throwing new little things in it, but um, listen to the world. You know, uh, 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 if your DM has put a bunch of time into creating this world and you're like, but there were no rock golems, I want to be the rock golem. And they're like, okay. Uh, I remember Nick made this awesome campaign world for this D&D campaign. It was like rich history, all this backstory, <laughs> so much cool stuff. And we got there to play. And there were, I think, like 30 playable races. And one of the dudes was like, I want to be a race not listed here and yeah. a type of character not listed here. And it was like, and, and I want to I want to be specifically the one class that you've written. No one should be. <laughs> and I was just like, OK, like I want to make this empowering for you, but also like. Dude, <laughs> like, uh, come on, man. Like, uh. <laughs> right. It was like very, well, it's, it's just very funny to D and D ultimately is collaborative and it, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't get your way. It means that everybody needs to work on being together. And, and also, um, I think if you're going to be, if you're a new player, uh, uh, you know, even if you, even if you you know, I think listening to the world is important. Also, like, get in there. Get, embarrass yourself. Yeah. Because when you first start, when you first start role playing, it can be funny, it can be weird. 
Yeah. And like, you know, I remember LARPing one time and like I was a barbarian and I like, like was like, oh, God, I'm going to get into character. And I like ran down the hill and someone was like, oh, we haven't started yet. <laughs> like, and I was like, oh, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll walk back up this hill and like epically run down it again in 10 minutes, I guess. Like, but like <laughs> do that. Like be, you know, because, because ultimately it's going to be so much more fun when you love your character and when your character has a voice and, 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 uh, and also tr- I think trust the DM, you know, like, like I wanted a Griffin. Mm-hmm. That was like, that was going to be my character. It's like, I'm on my Griffin quest. And then like, assuming I never play again, like I'll have done that. Yeah. But, but you didn't give it to me right away. Mm-hmm. You know, like you, not, or like I got it, but I couldn't ride it yet. You know, just, he was young. He yeah, had grown and, to and, full and, size. And, yeah. and so, you know, I think don't be, be willing to be patient because honestly, I think, I think where D and D like D and D is fun. If you're doing a one-off where D and D for me really starts to shine is like the investment. Yeah, totally. Um, and I would say too that, um, you know, are there specific like annoying behaviors? I don't really get annoyed by too much as a DM because I think that, especially if you're playing with very new players, there's a lot of stuff that's like unintuitive that yeah. I never fault people for not getting. Yeah. The only thing I would say is I think that all the little nitpicky annoying things we could mention tend to fall away if you follow one kind of golden rule, which is. As a player, your responsibility is your PC. However, to the degree that your empathy allows you to, try to keep a bird's eye view on the overall story. Yeah. And say like, is there someone at the table who I can maybe see is feeling excluded? Yeah. Is there, is something that I'm doing, you know, like uh, you hear a lot of times players will be like, well, that's what my character would do. And that's all well and good. But like, if, if something you're doing is really truly bumming out everybody else at the yeah. table, ask yourself like, okay, in the vast range of what's possible for my character, this might be something they want to do. Is it the only thing also, they do? Also, to everyone, how many times have you wanted to do something that you didn't do because of other people. <laughs> Not even bad, but just like, I want pizza. Oh, everyone wants burgers? Okay, let's go get burgers. Yeah, like, exactly. It doesn't, I'm not like, I'm gonna storm out of here and get pizza, you know? Like, yeah, we're all at a party and yeah. I'm like, sorry guys, I just feel like Brennan would only get pizza. Yeah. So that's you know, how that works. Yeah, um, <laughs> people people are malleable. Yes, and characters are malleable too. Yeah. And, and I think anytime you have a character that's like, they would do this. Consider because there's a range of stuff that character. Well, could also do. sometimes the most fun comes when they don't. Yeah, and and there either is a good outcome or a bad outcome from that. You know, like yes, like uh, uh, there have been times where Hassan is, has been put in situations where he's like, "This is what I want to do, but this is what maybe I need to do," and 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 that only brings you farther into the character. Yeah, 100%. it only makes it more fun to be honest. Uh, I totally agree. So. I think keeping that bird's eye view of like how's everyone else doing at the table, and I think also looking at the overall story yeah. and um, and realizing that like there are people are serving different masters yeah. at the table. Like a lot of the times, your DM, if your DM is doing something like um, your job is not to like. Uh, I would say that there's actually two ends of a spectrum here that I would avoid. Um, I never want my PCs to guess where I'm going towards yeah. and be like, we gotta help Brennan get there. Like fight. If you want to fight, yeah. if you don't don't assume that I know everything. Yeah, you didn't want Exonimus to punch 
and get killed like yeah for exonimus to die yeah. in in everfrost no but the the you know like shit happens yeah so, so it's but like, that was that that became something epic as the story progressed because someone act you know someone acted in an unexpected way and you roll with it and i would say the flip side of that though is um uh allow mo like realize how long these games can go on for. And if there are story moments that come along where you're like, oh man, we're about to lose this fight and get captured. Or like, oh, my character like is going to be frightened here, even yeah. though I had this heroic character. There are moments that you can go like, maybe this is not me doing my mechanic that I love or doing my most badass yeah. thing, but maybe that's not this moment in the story. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. And also, don't make a character who can attack like 40 times. <laughs> That's just practical knowledge. It's sick, but like <laughs> rolling that many dice is like, everyone else is going to be like, dude, oh my God, man. <laughs> I feel like. Jen, I love you. <laughs> well, thankfully, Jen now rolls. Pre rolls. Pre rolls. All her attacks. Yeah. But it's impressive. She goes through, like, I want to say eight sheets of paper per it's battle. Insane. Now. Wild. Um, <clears throat> this one's from Immolator 1001. Thanks, Immolator. Oh, yeah. Is it fair to kill a player? Well, let me say this. Never kill a player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Only kill the <laughs> yeah, characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, is it fair to kill a player for a different player's choices? My warlock player made a deal with a devil. Parentheses. Again. <laughs> that's a real, Those warlocks. That's a real womp womp for making a deal with the devil. Oh, brother. Um, that she is likely to break. The devil in question likes killing people's loved ones. Would it be fair to have it fight the players and specifically try to kill a different PC while taunting them that it's all the warlock's fault? So I think this is a great question. Um, so we kind of experienced this in Aerodane almost mm -hmm. when my character the rest of the PCs thought had been returned, yeah. But really, he it was an imposter, and my character was still in 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 prison. Yeah. And you had had this whole kind of idea that they would this guy would come and kill an attack. Yeah. But all the PCs left my character alone, and so when this guy showed up, there was no one to defend me, me, and this dude just like axed me. And the t the mood around the table was like, Brennan, what are you, like? Are you kidding me, dude? Yeah. Like, like Jack, I think especially felt like b betrayed almost. Yeah. And so, you know, the good news about that was it wasn't that was not real, and also you hadn't expected them to all go do this thing. Right. Well, I think that that was a, that was a very hard thing. Also hard because we had a time limitation on yeah. the session. Actually yeah. Yeah. Because I had to end. catch a plane. You had to catch a plane. So I. I think the, the part of that where it felt like, oh, Brennan just killed this character for no reason, also was partially because we were rushed, which is unfortunate. Yeah, but but the truth is, it was their actions. Yes, their actions caused him to be to be vulnerable, and it made. And I think that's that's a part of this too, which is like to get to this question, and also the moment where Hassan died, and this is like a six-year-long yeah. PC dies. I didn't actually play Hassan for like a year because I was playing the You're imposter. playing an imposter, yeah, a polymorphed spy. Uh, but there's this element there where 
does it make sense that this Hassan dies in the story of the game? A million yeah. percent. D- did that matter at the table for how everyone felt? No. no. On the flip side, I would say, like, I do think in this in this particular scenario to talk like directly to what you're discussing, uh, I think it's really cool to have the demon or the devil be like, I'm gonna kill this person because like you made the deal. I think if you're gonna do that though, have there be a way where the warlock can step like, you know, like let the warlock be able to step into the death ray. Right. You, you know what I mean? Like let let if that character let that character be able to redeem the the thing. I think that's always what it is. And I think that the issue with player character death is to allow some agency somewhere. Even if the character can't avoid death anymore, give them last words. Give them a way for the death to happen on their terms. Yeah, when when, when, uh, Krikrak rolled like, what, five natural 20s to sneak into a dungeon that was like way above his CR, Mm -hmm. he he was on a mission. He knew he might die, and he was okay with that. But you gave agency for the... You gave agency for that death. Yeah, absolutely. And there was an element of that death that was like extremely narratively like like the character was on a suicide mission. Yeah, he knew. Um, uh, uh, but yeah, I think I think as long as you can give, as long as you can make it, um, you know, like like I was in like there's a monument to the character. You know, like you don't want them. To, you don't want them to like. Well, I won't Game of Thrones spoilers, but you know, like, you don't want them to just get like randomly axed and just like oh wait what you're done Un- unless that's the agreed upon tone of your campaign yeah. if, In you're which doing case, a ha- if you're doing a hack master dungeon crawl campaign yeah. and you've hashed that out great look the only thing that comes down to it is this the rule books the books of D&D are extremely uncharismatic. And if you in your head are playing a game at a table with your real human being yeah. friends and you are feeling the vibe like they're going to get sad, guess how much those rule books are going to help you deal with your sad yeah. friends? Fucking goose egg, my yeah. guy. Not at all. So it, that does, that's not to say that death shouldn't happen. It has to happen for the game to matter. Yeah, and for the game to have have stakes. stakes yeah. Uh, but what I will say is this for, for this instance here, let's talk about what the problem is. First of all, you have a friend who's playing this warlock who's, who makes deals with devils and they endanger their friends. No one should get mad at that warlock because that warlock is fictional. You can't get yeah. mad at a fictional character. If the person playing the warlock is kind of, as some players can do in certain games of D&D, if that player's clearly getting off on how fucked everyone else's characters yeah. are, everyone else is allowed to get mad at that. And I want to be clear what I mean. No one's allowed to get mad at a fictional warlock, but you're allowed to get mad at a friend who's playing what's supposed to be a collaborative game in a shitty way yeah. to fuck with. Like, you don't have to be like, no, 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 don't have feelings. This is fictional. It's like, well, the characters are fictional, but your actions at a table while we're all taking time out of our Sunday yeah. to come have snacks and play, those are actually real. In the same way that if someone fucking steals money in a game of Monopoly, yeah, yeah the money's fictional. You're still actually cheating. Yeah. You know, so there's yeah. there's stuff there that's like that's like I want to be very clear clear that we should treat the fiction like a game. Don't don't get so attached that you lose perspective. Right. But if a friend is treating you poorly in a game or otherwise, yeah. that's like that is legit to call into question. Yeah. Um and I think that for for this thing here, 
Um, what Nick, Nick has great advice here, which is like, if you allow an opportunity for that warlock to do a selfless thing, you are giving that character a narrative out and that player a game route yeah. out. While, while simultaneously being like, there are consequences to this action. You then see that that balance is so important. Like there, there do have to be consequences. You can't make a deal with the devil and break it. Yeah. Um, but here's a way out. Because then what happens effectively, it's also a very funny thing, uh, I think about like, consequences are such an inherent part of these games that we play. Uh, I remember, so working at Wayfinder, yeah. every summer we would have some little sword kid at LARP camp. I was a, I was a sword kid. I hear you. I was a scroll kid. Um, I liked the magic <laughs> I system. I was a scroll kid. A scroll kid. Uh, they're just I go hard for necromancers, though. <laughs> um, there would always be a kid who, in character development, would be like, I want to betray. And they'd be like, I want to betray all my teammates. And you're like, well, first of all, you're telling us all that. So that's a problem. But I was like, I would always say like, sure, betray. And I remember this one summer game, this 12 year old boy was playing like, I'm Shadow Wolf, Edgelord, Darkness Ranger. Game started like 30 minutes in, he whacked a team with a sword and cut his leg off and, and was like, did his big betrayal. What happened in the next 15 seconds was a cleric, that was we were all walking together in a huge pack, so the wounded guy just got immediately healed by a cl- healed by a cleric, and every other soldier in the team hacked that guy to yeah. ribbons, and that kid started like crying and left game. It was like everyone killed me right when I betrayed, and it was like, yeah, dog, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you what an what an ex- like an excellent lesson in sociology for <laughs> yeah. you at this young age. Yeah. Turns out, oh, they did the thing that you did to them. <laughs> To you, to you right away. Oh, wow. And yeah. it's also like, I think you could go through maybe every culture in human history and see that traitors are maybe the most universally yeah, loathed yeah. person. Yeah, there's not really a culture that's like, yay, traitors. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the, what was interesting about that was I think that you can see that often the proof is in the pudding. So, like, with this, with this instance, like, you know, if you play a really selfish character, because you think that's going to be fun, watch as everyone at the fucking table gets pissed. Yeah. Like, and 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 I think that like, you know, I think these these sorts of things can be cool if you approach them in the right way. Yes, you know, like like it it can if you allow your character to, to grow, you know, it, it's cool to have an, an opinion that changes. Yes, right. Like that is like hopefully what every human is doing mm-hmm. is growing, and and. And so, you know, we're making heroes, but even heroes can be flawed. Yeah. But but I think part of that heroic journey isn't like, oh, I just got from level six to seven. Part of that journey is like, oh, wow, like the way I was doing this thing was wrong. Yeah. There's a big difference, I think, between characters that are flawed, that have disagreements, and characters that are, I think, more like, I don't know what you'd call it, but like... Um, uh, Actively like naysaying trolls. Yeah, trolls. Yeah, we we all know that there's trolls out there. Don't yeah. be a goddamn troll. That be, stand under the bridge. Stand under the bridge, you trolls. But again, I would say that the issue there is also about the tone and genre of yeah, the game. Absolutely. I think if you're all playing a game of Vampire the Masquerade, uh, characters. Well, no, there's no heartbeat. <gasps> uh, Characters betraying each other it's is classic. the nature of yeah. the game. No one can actually even get mad. But in a game of D and D, where it's like, oh, we all are heroes except for Kevin, who, who yeah. is trolling us all. Yeah, that's where you get yeah. into disalignment. Yeah, and, and and you know, and I think that's an important thing, right? Is like know the game you're playing. 
Yeah. And and I, I when I when I I think like even if you're DMing, know the game you're playing, right? Like when I'm DMing our White Wolf game, I will tell certain people things in a different rooms. Yeah. Or I'll text like we had a session with with Griff and Connor where Griff, I was like, there are certain words I just like you can when you're talking to him, you just don't say those words. And watching Connor's face go like, wait, like am I not? I was like, yeah, like you, you're you can't hear that. Like, you, like your your trauma is blocking that, and suddenly it, it like allowing those mysteries because I do think, I, I think one of the things I love about D and D is like the, the the cooperative nature, but I also find that sometimes it can get in the way. You know, like yeah. like you know, like you make a check and it's like this is what you know, and something that's like cool, we all know that, and it's like well, yeah, they know that actually, yeah. like you all don't know that. And 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 so I do think that um, even that sometimes like with rolling dice, like sometimes I want to roll the dice as the DM because this happened in our World of Darkness game. They uh, they botched a roll to like go meet up with some people. That they were like searching for werewolves and they botched the roll. And I was like, as a DM, I'm like, well, I want you to have like found the wrong. I want you to have found black spirals instead of bone gnawers. Yeah, but. Everyone sitting here knows you just botched that role. Right. So, like, I can't, like, it's not going to be surprised. Like, I can't do the thing of, like, oh, actually, yeah. you know, so it's interesting. I 100% agree. Um, and I think there, yeah, uh, it's significant, too. And I think it really does come down to you are allowed to trust your intuition about what is good faith and what is bad yeah, faith. Yeah. You are allowed to go, I think this player is making, even if they are betraying or jeopardizing the entire party, I think that every, if it's handled correctly, it's great. If someone's like, yeah, this character's jeopardizing the entire party because if they don't, they're gonna lose their homeland or yeah. they're doing something. That's, then a sick story comes out of that. But if you're like, oh, you're jeopardizing the whole party because you, the player, actually are getting off on yeah. fucking with them, different situation. Totally. Um, the library I volunteer at, this is from uh, M. Keen. Thanks, M. Keen. Uh, the library I volunteer at Good is- Good for you. The, uh, yes, very awesome. Uh, at is in need of a new DM for their D&D group, and I might be stepping in. The problem I'm facing is that I've never DM'd for people who weren't my adult friends, and this group has kids as young as 12 and 13. I'm wondering if you have any advice about building a narrative for a younger audience. I would never want them to feel like I'm dumbing things down just because they're kids, but I also don't want to put the same expectations on them. That's a great question. I think, as a former kid, <laughs> um, I think that... Uh, I always like people who respected me as just a person. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like, so I, I don't think dumbing down is, is necessary. Um, but I do think at the same time you have to be conscious of the fact that they, that they are kids. So, um, you know, I think, I think there's a lot of opportunity there. Like if you have certain ideas that you want to take this campaign in that also listening to like what they want, you know, like yeah. in Aridane, We've had sessions where for three sessions, and we're playing sometimes once every six months for like a few days. And like, I think at one point, like, we went like three sessions without combat. Yeah. And like, I loved all those sessions, but like, I'm, I'm trying to like, you know, I'm trying to valiantly charge someone, you know, every once in a while, you know, like, and, uh, and, uh, but I'm an adult, so I, you know, like I was like down to role play. But I remember even at one point you being like, "We got to get a combat. You know, there's got to be a combat coming up." Yeah. 
Um, and and so I think that you know, uh, uh, you can you can add a little bit more of what they want and lead them in to these cool places. A hundred percent. And there's a really excellent point in terms of sort of like sociologically again. There's a reason the old Grimm's fairy tales are so dark and scary. Our idea of what is appropriate for children is, I think, a little misguided sometimes. Yeah. Children are fascinated by death. They know that the world is yeah. dangerous inherently. And especially when you're talking about 12 or 13, 12 or 13, some kids are going fully going through puberty at yeah. that age. Like These are not tiny little children. They are interacting with with like the things that are are still childlike about a twelve or thirteen year old are they don't have an emotional intelligence they're like storms of yeah. hormones and shit yeah. they're like there's but in terms of their cogency you know twelve and thirteen year olds are incredibly lucid yeah and I think you're doing a disservice to them by not assuming that on an intellectual analytical level they could be as brilliant if not more so than some adults and, and also what I would say is like okay. What is what are the what are some of those upsetting things that happen at that age? Like breakups, your parents get divorced. Like there's all these things. In group that, socializing. Right, in yeah. group social so what a what an amazing opportunity to experience certain things without real world consequence. Yeah. Like what an incredible opportunity to explore these ideas that they are going to be wrestling with in real life without the consequence of real life. I think that's such a good point. And I think also from both of us that worked at a summer camp where we were doing role play specifically for kids of this age yeah, range, yeah. I think the rule of thumb is start conservatively. Like if you're worried yeah. about if you're worried about subject matter, start conservatively. Let these kids dictate yeah. their comfort level. We used to say play to their level, right? Yeah. And I I think that that can be tricky when there's multiple kids because you always have that one kid that's like a yeah. little bit more mature, yeah. maybe in a way that's like not helpful or yeah. constructive. But like, you know, read the room and especially I would say read the more sensitive end of the room yeah. to sort of play to their level. And they will show you through what they put their focus on what their areas of interest are. Exactly. And, and, and I think, uh, you know, I think especially in that cir circumstance, and I think DMing in general, is a lot of like, here are eight choices. Okay, we're gonna go here. Yeah. You know, like let them, give them the possibility, but don't determine it for them. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, man, uh, Nick, this hour Dude. flew by. We're going to probably go get burritos and keep doing this yeah. when the cameras are off. <laughs> um, guys, this has been Adventuring County. This has been my guest, Nick Marini. Thanks so much for coming, Nick. Thanks for having me, man. Woo, we'll catch you guys next time. This has been a Dropout Podcast. For video of today's show plus more exclusive series, go to dropout.tv.